You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of In Country, a podcast that's taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and this time around, we're actually jumping ahead to April of 1970 with The Nom number 43, and the first issue of the series that is not written by Doug Murray. Our song is not from April 1970, however. It is The Weight by the band, which was released in January of 1968. It's the band's most well-known tune, even though it didn't do well commercially, only hitting number 63 on the charts in the United States. I used it in this episode because it is the title of our story and actually provides a nice soundtrack to the issue we'll be looking at. The Nom number 43 came out on February 27, 1990, and its cover was dated April 1990. It features a cover by Wayne Van Zant that shows the soldier's eyes and several pieces of dialogue in a black background. It shouldn't have happened the way it did. There were five of them against me, someone is saying. Then four. Then three. Then me and just one poor slob. I don't remember much after that. Now, if you remember my interview with Wayne Van Zant all the way back in episode 14, you'll remember that this was not the cover that was intended for the issue. From what he said, they were running up against Deadline, and they swiped a panel from the interior and created the cover from that. I have to be honest, I really like it. The black background and the title of the comic being slightly askew along with that simple image and the dialogue really set it apart from the rest of the covers that we've seen in the series or what you would have seen on the stands. The Weight was written by Chuck Dixon. The artist was Wayne Van Sant, Phil Felix was on Letters and Colors, Don Daly was the editor, and Tom DeFalco was the editor-in-chief. April 1970, Saigon. This is R&R for guys on short leave. Guys without the time or the juice to get placed to places like Tokyo or Bangkok. Two guys walk into a bar and we come in on a conversation around a table between Martini and a few other guys. One of them, a black guy, begins telling his story. I was spotter and a shotgun for this crack shot sniper who thought the whole Dag Nam was his own personal shooting gallery, born with a rifle in his hand, southerner raised hunting squirrels before he could walk. We'd set up an Indian country over Red Ball or Paddy Dyke we liked and then sit and wait. The guy was the Lord's own sniper. Charlie be dropping dead before they even heard the shots. One shot, one kill. 30-06 in the heart from a thousand yards out and more. Victor Charles never knew what hit him. The man was that good. But all good things come to an end, right? And they show him in the bunker talking talking around the guys there. They're uh, bragging about the fact that uh, 
that, you know, this guy, wow, that's incredible and all this stuff. And this guy's cleaning his rifle. And one of the guys says, I wonder what it's like on the receiving end of that action, not knowing you're in somebody's head until you hear the zing of the bullet. Maybe you wouldn't even hear that. Wonder what it's like. Think about it. Looking back on it, that's when everything changed. What I said must have ate at him. We used to walk through Charlie's neighborhood like we owned the place. Now we were creeping and crawling and playing it safe. My crack shot buddy was losing his nerve. He'd dream at night about being in the crosshairs, walking in the shooting gallery with someone else playing for the prizes. He started acting real freaky, man. He was becoming a paranoid's paranoid. Poor guy was wired so tight, he squeaked. I covered for him. But I can only do so much, you know? Last month he was supposed to get a silver star for bravery along with a bunch of other heroes from our unit, only he didn't show. I had nothing but bad feelings as I walked to our hooch. I hadn't seen him all morning, and his bed has never slept in. I heard something pounding like a puppy dog first night. You leave it all by itself. I knew what it was before I opened the locker. You see the guy huddling in his locker, scared out of his mind to go out in the open air. He says, they shipped him home the next day. Probably walk around the rest of his life thinking there's a bullseye painted on his back. The Green Beret is sitting with them, says, Sounds like your buddy got himself too wired. You gotta be able to leave it behind. Remember where you are. He then begins his own story. I remember when I first got to this miserable place of real estate. It was 63. Special forces were here only as advisors then. We advised the ARVN to the bush, helped them kill the VC, then we advised them right back out again. We advised artillery where to hit and helicopters where to land. Our advice led to lots of body counts and captured enemy soldiers. But, but it was in the fall of 63 that I got my real education. We were securing perimeter around some miserable little village, make, making fire points on maps and doing make work. I was told that VC spottings in the area were light and just to make a show of force and let them know the Republic of Vietnam still cared. Some show of force. They caught us napping, plain and simple. My troops were conscripts, draftees, most of them kids, and none of them wanted to be there. Too bad. So they start getting fired upon. He calls in the radio, and he needs some fire. Artillery was just a phone call away, but that's when phones are working. The air was all noise, everyone talking, nobody listening, no, nothing but scramble and chatter. We broke out, but it cost us. It cost us near all our patrol. We got in the Reds' blood up, so they dogged us. We hid in the bush for two days with the VC, never more than a half a click away. Sometimes it was a lot closer than that. The whole way home, I kept thinking of all that chatter on the radio. What was worth crowding the air all the ways like that? I had some crazy thoughts about maybe North Vietnam entering the war. I wanted some answers. I wanted to know what my guys died for. It was just a standard army foul if somebody was going to do some hurting. So the Green Beret gets back to the base. He gets all ticked off and he storms into the radio office. And he finds the radio operator. He says, me and my ARVN unit got chopped to pieces a couple of days ago and I couldn't get through to Artie supporter Flyboys. The air was full of a bunch of screaming Nancys. Now what do you know about that? And the radio operator says, I, that was the 23rd. Kennedy, the president, got shot in Dallas. Everyone was on the radio trying to find out what happened. It was all day before we found out the president died, Sergeant. And he says, that was Dallas, son. My bleeding men were here. Why should I care what happens in Texas? I lost a lot of good men, son. While you and these other losers were playing Walter Cronkite with the radios, I should, I should, ah, forget it, what's the use? He throws the radio guy aside. 
And then he basically says, so it doesn't matter what's going on back in the world. It's got no effect on what happens in Nam. I wonder if this world will ever mean anything to me again. After this, what's the world got that matters? After his story is over, a figure in the corner says, huh, I remember my first days in Nam. Couldn't wait to get here. Everybody else is getting married or going to college to avoid the draft. I volunteered for the ROTC. Couldn't wait to get here. I remember worrying that it would be all over before I got here. He then begins, but lucky me, I made lieutenant and got sent to the NAM. And there I was in my tailored uniform, a bright, shiny, squeaky clean brand of spanking FNG. I met my guys, then partying for a long time. The newest guy was already halfway through the door, through his tour, and I was the new guy now. They were sizing me up and I wasn't getting high marks. My crisp new uniform began to feel like a clown suit. He then asked what happened to the unit's last lieutenant and is informed that the guy went home in a body bag because he wouldn't listen. We then get the narration again. The first patrol was like my first day at school. I could feel every eye on me. They were waiting for me to foul up. They were pain, praying for me to foul up. They head out into the boonies and come upon a village and the lieutenant hears a gunshot. Someone has killed the woman from the village and one of the guys says that she popped out of the hooch like she had in business and he capped her. The lieutenant goes nuts and says he's going to bring him up on charges when the other guy tells him to lay off. Lieutenant begins to lecture them about how they are there as allies. He narrates, I was angry, but I felt stupid at the same time. As we humped on, I kept reminding myself that I was right. No matter what happened, no matter what Nam was like, there was rules, and I would follow rules. It's just that another woman from the village gets shot. The lieutenant begins another lecture about why you aren't supposed to shoot civilians. They point out that the woman was holding a grenade. Things changed after that, he says. I was a student and they were the teachers. We were sent on shoot and scoots and mop-up operations, pacification stuff. I was becoming one of them in appearance and attitude. I was becoming part of the unit. I was gaining the respect in a bond group between us. We were a unit in name and in fact, tight. They began to look for me for leadership, to look to me to keep them alive. We were out on patrol in what we thought was a safe area. The monsoon season was beginning. We were wet to the skin. The stream we'd hopped across in the morning was a mud-swollen river on the way back. We had a long walk ahead of us to get around it. All you could hear was the dripping of rain on your helmet, but that didn't last. We'd stepped right into it. We see an enemy grenade being thrown, and he continues, McElroy got it first. Things only got worse from there. What with, what with the weather and our position at the floor of the valley, we were cut off from radio contact. Our backs were against the river, and cover was minimal. Charlie wasn't even in a hurry. He knew he had us. One by one, he had us. We were down to nothing, low on ammo, and were wounded, and more wounded and dead than otherwise. Charlie decided it was safe to come out and play. It was just the top of, and me, and when they left, and when they closed in our position, then it was just me. It shouldn't have happened the way it did. There were five of them against me, then four, then three, then me, and just one poor slob. I don't remember much after that. It was morning before I heard the choppers looking for us. But there was no more us. I was the only one left standing. You want to hear something crazy? He continues as we see the chopper pick him up. It was the happiest day of my whole life. I looked back from the chopper. I couldn't stop laughing. I lived and they died, you know? It didn't matter if they were my soulmates or Charlie. I was alive and they were dead. We're back to the bar and he says, It's where the line is drawn. And I was happy to be on this side of it. I figure I'm going to have to deal with it someday, right? Someday, maybe I will. Someday. And he lights a cigarette and leaves the bar. 
This is obviously a fill-in issue, and from what I can remember, it was one that was done pretty close to deadline, or at least parts of it were. I'm not sure what made Doug Murray sit this one out, but I will say if there's anyone who's a solid fill-in as an action writer, it's Chuck Dixon. And he would go on to be the next writer on the title, although Doug Murray would be back next issue. Up until this point, Nick Dixon had a lot of independent work with things like Airboy, as well as more adult stuff from Marvel like Conan. He'd been writer, mar- writing Mark Spector Moon Knight as well. I personally first came across his work later in 1990 when he wrote the first Robin miniseries for DC and would eventually have a great run on Detective Comics as well as both Robin and Nightwing. Here's Dixon doing a serviceable job at offering up three small tales, war stories, about what it's like to have the war affect you. First, we have the guy who goes paranoid because someone gets into his head and makes him doubt himself. Van Zant does a good job at showing this and getting more and more paranoid. Dixon gives us this short tale that reminds me of that opening scene of Top Gun when, when Cougar loses it in midair. What I like about the second story told in the issue is that it's a look at part of the war that we haven't seen yet. And that's an early part of the American involvement in Vietnam when Kennedy was still sending in advisors. And we also got to look at a real world event, which was Kennedy's assassination. It's a little heavy handed where he lays into the operator and how they're in Vietnam fighting the war and the immediate problems they have are more important what's going on in the world. And the twist about it being Kennedy, yeah, right, you know. But, you know, I see what you did there. But at the same time, I always like the juxtaposition between the real world and the war because they are, you know, it is very, very important, especially for the soldiers back home. And when you have a world event like this, that juxtaposition becomes very, very important. I mean, previously, Doug Murray has shown us the events like the Democratic National Event Convention in Chicago, um... And, you know, the effects of other events from especially like 1968. But mainly that's because that's what was going on at the time. So this was kind of interesting to see a little bit in flashback. Of course, those two stories are just a prelude to the big story of the issue, which is told by one of by that lieutenant about his first days in Vietnam. It's a typical war changes a man story, but Van Zandt illustrates it very well and makes it intriguing. The scene in the monsoon when he is going after the VC is done with a wide range of emotion, and with a, within a few panels you see this guy go from reacting in order to survive to laughing maniacally at what has just happened. I wish I had more to say than other than, well, this is alright, but it really is a comic book that you read saying, yeah, this is pretty good, before putting it back and moving on to other issues. I'm hoping that we get the chance to advance the overall story in future issues because like I said about last issue I wonder if this is where the series is going to start to spin its wheels for a little bit and well not necessarily looking forward to that but um, you know so far so good I'll be back in a moment with historical context letters and ads in 1977 the world changed the film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. 
My Star Wars Story, monthly at MyStarWarsStory.com. If we're going to jump to April 1970 and not to August 1969, which is where we should be, we'll look at a contradiction of events, the first of which is on April 28th, 1970, when President Nixon announces the further drawdown of troops in Vietnam with 150,000 leaving. But on April 30th, there is the announcement of U.S. forces going into Cambodia in an effort to hunt down the VC who were in the country. President Nixon says that it is, quote, not for the purpose of expanding the war into Cambodia, but for the purpose of ending the war in Vietnam and winning just the just peace we desire. This sparks a massive number of protests in the United States, which would eventually result in a protest against the Vietnam War of 100,000 people in Washington, D.C. on May 9th. In other news, we have the dissolution of the Beatles as Paul McCartney announces he's leaving the group on leaving the group. And on April 1st, AMC introduces a brand new car called the Gremlin. Incoming this month. Now, Doug is answering the letters in this page. So uh, let's see. We've got we've got Brian Bedwell from Baldwin, Missouri, saying um, he's only 14, but his dad was 41. He was drafted in 1968, and he was supposed to go to um he got was given a choice he could go to vietnam and fix communication lines or go to washington office work and he stayed in the u.s he said a couple of years ago i started to collect souvenirs from the war most recently i branched out into german gear from world war ii they're great but very expensive i wanted to ask if you get, might do a comment about the germans in world war ii perhaps centered on the russian front you know operation barbarossa just an idea uh, which is kind of ironic in a sense. No, it's not ironic. It's just kind of funny that uh, Wayne Van Zandt, who I interviewed back in issue four, episode 14, sort of did that about um, the Ukraine and Katusha, uh, the first two books of which are available, and I believe he's working on the third, uh, which are really, really worth picking up. They're great stuff. Uh, Doug says, tell your father he was lucky and a smart guy. I was drafted in 67 and didn't get that kind of choice. As for your ideas in World War II, I don't know if there's that kind of interest in older war stories anymore. Comments from the other readers. It's a good point from Doug. I believe around this time, the classic World War II war story comic book was pretty much dead. Paul Smith from Canada, Ontario, Canada wants to know, um, did you didn't do any issues from the point of view of Phantom Pilot? And he says, check out issue 19. William Herman of the America Cares campaign in North Charleston, South Carolina writes in, Dear guys, I served in the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War, and I want to convey my immense respect for the way your staff treats the Vietnam soldiers and the war itself. I thought I'd share some of my own experience with you. I spent some time as a door gunner on a UHB-1, a Huey can recall an incident with our uh, with a mama son who washed and cleaned laundry at our firebase. She seemed harmless enough, just another mama son, until she was discovered to be carrying small, carefully wrapped chicom grenades. She would place them in the fuel tanks of the bird so that later, when the bird was moving troops, the aviation fuel would eat away the masking tape around the grenade and let the spoon pop off, causing the explosion. I saw one of those explosions. I was waving at a friend on the chopper next to mine when that chopper disappeared in a horrendous flash. The rest of us took evasive maneuvers, figuring an RPG or ground fire had gotten the other Huey. It was a long time before we found out it was the same old woman who washed our fatigues. 
I recall mail call, thousand-yard stairs, and the look of empty bunks in the barracks. It's why I started America Cares. Every time you guys have mentioned my address, an avalanche of mail has poured in. We used to have a saying in the NAM, it don't mean nothing. That's still very true, but while it may, it may mean nothing, you mean everything. Thanks to Marvel Comics, the NAM staff, and all of the friends and veterans of the awful war. William Herman, the America Cares Campaign. Doug says, for those of you unaware of it, the America Cares Campaign is designed to allow those here in the States to write to active duty servicemen overseas. As one of those who spent the holidays overseas, I will truthfully tell that nothing is more cheering than hearing from those at home. If you're interested, write Bill at the address above. You can make somebody very happy. Now, a quick Google search um, didn't turn anything up on a specific organization called the America Cares Campaign, so I'm not sure if it still exists. But there are a number of organizations that you can use to write to, send packages to, or email our troops overseas uh, if you are interested in doing that. Um, and uh, and that's definitely, definitely a worthy cause. The last letter is from Patrick Byrne of Whippany, New Jersey. He says he picked up his first comic book two or three weeks ago. He bought issue 38, and then he bought issue 39. And he says um, he wants to well, find back issues, and he says you can buy back issues in mail order. Some mail order businesses advertise in this very book or comic conventions. You may want to pick up the Nom Trade paperback. It's been reprinted four issues at a time. The first dozen issues on high-quality Mondo paper. Good luck finding the issues you want. And I actually have all three trades of that. Um, I think one or two of which I've got signed by Michael Goldman. Uh, they do print numbers 1 through 12, which is kind of a bummer. I wish they would have printed 1 through 13 because 13 is the real end of that storyline with Ed Marks. But uh, it is printed on a gorgeous paper. It is in a late 80s, early 90s trade, so it's slightly bigger um, than the normal trade for today. But it is... Uh, well, it's slightly shorter, but it's a little bit wider than your normal trade for today. But but it was really, really well done. And you could tell that this book sold quite a bit in its first um, first issues where they were reprinting like this and they were doing the NOM magazine for a while too. The first 12 issues or so, by the way, in fact, I want to say up to the first like 30 or so issues of, of the NOM are in trade paperback um, and in more recently than 1988. And I think you can get most of them on sites like InSock Trade or Amazon and things. So uh, I would go out looking for them and seeing what you can find. I will tell you that and I've said this time and time again. Um, you start to get beyond issue like 40 or 50 and especially up into the 60s, 70s, and 80s of this series, and the issues do start to get to a little, be a little harder to find because the print run definitely went down. But the first half of the series uh, is either really readily available in, in cheapy bins, or you can buy them in trade. We have in the bottom right-hand corner um, a couple of panels uh that preview next issue of a guy hiding in the bush saying, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, don't let me see them. Don't let them. And don't let them see me. Don't let them. And four VC walking by and him just sweating as they walk by. And it says when FDR said, there's nothing to fear, but fear itself. It was obvious. He never was in the nom, but then a, when a gridiron grid iron greenie arrives in the 23rd, Fear Itself is More Than Enough, Football Hero by Murray Van Zandt and Nichols in 30 days, this time for sure. 
Nam notes this month, Artie is artillery, ARVN, the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, Charlie, Victor Charles of VC, the enemy, CO, commanding officer, conscripts, draftees, or involuntary recruits, FNG, slightly derogatory vernacular for new guy, clicks, kilometers, loach, observation helicopter, NVA, North Vietnamese Army, Paddy Dyke, earthen dammed used for irrigating rice fields, Pogi, marine slang for a new guy, Red Ball, main thoroughfare, ROTC, Reserve Officer Training Corps, RT, radio telephone, and a wake up the last day in the NOM. They wake you up and hop you on a freedom bird and you go back to the world. Ads this month. Um, the Demon Sword is on the inside cover this time around. Um, we have the Double Dragon 2 The Revenge. Um, Add from acclaim, we have Dream Machines. This is like a, I guess it's like a, like a book about a binder full of things about different vehicles and stuff. Yeah, seven by ten cards you keep in a three wing binder called Wheels and Wings. Sports cars, planes, monster trucks. It's very, very boy heavy. Eighties boy heavy. Boston Con- Boston Comic Con, the Chicago Comic Con, Minneapolis Great Eastern Conventions. We've got Philadelphia, Boston, Minneapolis, New Brunswick, New Jersey, Chicago, Long Island, New York, at the Marriott, at the at Uniondale on Hempstead Turnpike, Wayne, New Jersey, New Haven, Connecticut, New York, New York at the Roosevelt Hotel, Springfield, New Jersey, and Paramus, New Jersey. We have a hodgepodge ad that takes up half of a page where you can do everything from finish high school at home to buy various comic book back issues a dollar off of Takatoy stuff down in the bottom of that page there is a warehouse sale going on at American Entertainment um, all sorts of things and the biggest hot comic this month is Aliens versus Predator. I actually, yeah, this is around the time I started buying comics. This is one of the first series I actually bought. I I was I like lived for that series. It was actually a good pretty good story that original Aliens versus Predator series. Kind of got ruined by all the the movies. Entertainment um American Entertainment um, has another has another ad a little bit further down with just kind of more stuff. Nothing really. There's a Punisher for Wolverine, Spider-Man versus Venom, deluxe editions, and some various you know the usual stuff. Nothing nothing that's standing out at the moment. I think we're we're about a year away from those ads kind of starting to go completely off the rails. Uh, East Coast Comics has its usual ad bullpen bulletins. Same thing we keep seeing. Stan hasn't said much else in the soapbox recently. Peter David wrote a novel. I don't think they have changed bullpen bulletins in like two or three issues, to be completely honest with you. Um, there's a McFarlane Hulk on the subscription ad, and there is an Adventures of Bayou Billy for by Konami. Fighting, driving, and of course, zapping. The Adventures of Bayou Billy for Nintendo. On the inside cover and on the back cover, you're double zapping your zits with Clearasil. Don't forget to go swimming right after you take you put the Clearasil on your face because it gives you a nice 
burning sensation. Feel the burn. All right. That is it for this episode. Uh, Join me next time for episode 49, where I'll be covering issue number 44 of the nom we'll be back with we will be back with football hero it's uh, it's a really good piece and uh, i hope you join me so until then thanks for listening and take care i said wait a minute chester you have been listening to in country a podcast that covers marvel comics the nom The NOM and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. In Country also has a Facebook page, and you can like the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can download this podcast and many other great podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Want to support this and the other Two True Freaks podcasts? Go to twotruefreaks.com and click the Amazon.com link. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nom. And you put the load right on me.